Oil Town, USA. Stronger than dirt. New Ajax. Laundry detergent is stronger than dirt. This is really just going to be an update, a channel update, a little bit of doors news that I think we did we need to discuss that we haven't talked about. I just want to start by saying that this is definitely going to be more loose, you know, discussion oriented, and it's not going to be as edited or polished by any means. But it's just something I wanted to put out there because so I wanted to release the Joshua White bonus material, which I will do in a separate episode. But I didn't want it to really weigh it down on the front end with a lot of stuff and me talking to people that people may not necessarily want to hear if they want to hear that, but there will be a Joshua White episode and it will be sort of less edited as well. It's just bonus material. A lot of really interesting stuff though. We talk about his, I just, I just feel like it didn't fit as much into the episodes we we're discussing about the doors. And I don't know if it would, you know, if it, it might've turned people off to the episode itself, if, if they were looking for doors oriented content. So just hang out, you know, this will be like probably, Post, these episodes are probably posted around the same time. So be sure to just check that out. He talks about the Who show. Uh, we even play some footage, some audio from that. He talks about the Hendrix show. He talks about Woodstock because he was at Woodstock and, and was supposed to have a lot show at Woodstock. And he will tell you a bit about how that happened and what, what went down there. But I just wanted to go over some news to start out with. And the first bit of news comes from uh, NME.com. It was originally reported by the Rolling Stones. The Doors sell exhaustive branding and catalog rights in monumental acquisition. The band's legacy was, will still be overseen by longtime manager Jeff Poole. The article goes on to state that Primary Wave Music have acquired an exhaustive slate of, door, of rights to the Doors publishing catalog, master recordings, trademarks, merchandising, options, and even income in what the Indian publisher has dubbed a monumental acquisition. It only covers the rights, of course, to guitarist Robbie Krieger, and the estate of late keyboardist Ray Manzarek, those owned by the late frontman Jim Morrison and drummer John Densmore, were not factored into the sale. To that end, Primary Wave have not yet disclosed how much they paid for the aforementioned rights. Uh, in a statement, Krieger welcomed the acquisition. After 58 years and the most magical of times, I've decided to sell my share of the doors to Primary Wave, he said. This will enable me to help the many charities I've been involved with, and some new ones too. I know Primary Wave cares about music, art, and about helping legacies go to even bigger levels. Our longtime Doors manager will still be protecting our legacy in partnership with Primary Wave, so I'm comfortable and happy with the future of the Doors. Manzarek's interests seem to be accounted for as well as his widow Dorothy said in a statement of her own. Ray and I spent a lot of time discussing the future of the Doors legacy and how to handle things after he departed this plane. Our family has worked patiently to find the right partners to continue Ray's lifelong efforts in protecting and promoting his heart, and now we are happy to have finally come to an agreement with Primary Wave. Under the continued guidance from manager Jeff Jampool, Primary Wave will be the right partnership in this endeavor to build future generations of New Dwarfs fans. He goes on to talk about you know Robbie releasing his his memoir, Set the Night on Fire, that he uh, he'd been talking about for a while. 
So as far as what my take is on this, um, I've seen some people upset at Robbie and, and Dorothy about this. Like, well, how could you do this? How could you sell out? But ultimately, my, my position is that they spent their lives dedicated to doing this, you know, and what they do with it at the end of the day, I, I feel completely okay with whatever their decision would be. And another thing I think to take into account is that with the information we have and the master recordings that we know are out there, you know, et cetera, et cetera, I don't think there's a lot of meat left on the bone for the Ray Estate and Robbie as far as money made off of new material because, you know, after L.A. Woman's 50th, after release of Paris Blues for Crying Out Loud, which was probably the biggest Lost Doors track ever, I would say aside from the New Orleans tape, there's not a lot that people um, could be hyped for. And we'll get into more of what is missing when we talk about the record store day releases. I'll put that off. But I think under the management now, and I don't have any qualms. I know some people may have, you know, good or bad things to say about Jeff Jampool and some of the decisions they've made. But ultimately, I think that, that that it all goes through the doors. It all goes through the individual members, through John, through the Jim Estate. So there's more parties at play, and whatever they decide is is great. And at this point, any release or any non-release, ultimately the fan. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is something I never understood with movies. Hey, they're remaking whatever movie, and people automatically they say they're remaking ET. You know, just throwing this out there. People get up in arms. They're going to ruin the ET I had when I was a child. Blah blah blah. I, I don't understand that logic. How can they ruin something that you've already enjoyed and you've enjoyed your whole life? All you have to do is just completely ignore it. I mean, you don't have to consume more material. You don't have to, the doors, whatever they put out from now from here until eternity for the next three, four hundred years, however long you don't, which you, you won't, you won't listen to that anyway, but the rest of your life, no matter what the doors put out, you don't have to listen to it. There's, there's nobody forcing you to do that. And I was talking to one person who's a huge doors person of the doors collector. He's a huge in the community. And, uh, he said, Hey, I mean, I haven't bought a doors release in, in decades. I, I can't tell you the last thing I purchased as far as a doors release goes. It might have been the perception box, I think is what they said. Hey, more power to him, man. I mean, at this point, you if you want to just listen to the All Those Doors studio albums, you know, maybe you don't want to listen to American Prayer. Maybe you don't want to listen to anything after any of the Bright Midnight stuff. Hey, you can enjoy the Doors fandom however you want to. You're probably not going to listen to this podcast if that's your choice because um, you know, I imagine the people who listen to this podcast can't get enough of the Doors. But ultimately, nobody's really telling you what you can and can't do. And as to what primary wave media does, I think is still left to be seen. And that leads to our next article. And it's about the record store days. So the doors for record store days were releasing a limited edition RSD3 mini turntable. And I've also seen people upset about this online. I'll go ahead and read a little bit about this. The doors limited edition RSD3 mini turntable sporting the doors branded dust cover and turntable facing each of these special editions of the RSD3 come in a special box with a complete set of three inch records being released for record store days 2023 featuring the doors classic hits break on through lover madly and hello I love you and a Japanese designed lip style jacket that will include three inch record and a lyric sheet so and, and it looks like the 
And this is not the first time they've released this table. It looks like the standard three-inch table that they've been releasing. It's based off of one of their, their bigger, you know, more robust tables. But at the end of the day, it is sort of more lo-fi three-inch table. And just getting, I know, I know I've seen a lot of people upset about it already. How would you do this? Why would you do this? I still think this is, and, and, and I also think that this release is not indicative of primary wave media. That story came out in January 23rd, 23rd I think is when I saw the, the story about them breaking of the rights being sold. But this obviously came out this past week, and as far as producing record, you know, the mini records and stuff, the timetable is a lot further out than that months in, in advance. So I don't think this has to do with Primary Wave. It's probably, probably already set in motion. So anybody trying to carry this, the pitchforks to Primary Wave's headquarters, I think, are are on an ill-gotten you know journey to do that because this is not Primary Wave. And, and also, so... Another thing, so the three inch, and, and we'll just talk about this a little bit. I guess first let's talk about, I've seen some people talk about, hey, you know, this is crazy. There's more stuff out there. We know there's more stuff. Why would they not, um, you know, release that? And I guess they do have a good point. There there are still things that we know about that we are still um, looking for, or we still don't know. They've been teased. I mean, we still haven't really got a great Matrix release. We got the the piece together Matrix release that we got, but we didn't get one from the clean audio tape. And I know we've got the records, the Record Store Day records, which were fantastic, which I think were from those masters. But we haven't got a complete set of the Matrix release, the Matrix tapes released from those original masters. We've still got, I know, Seattle that we haven't heard from. Bakersfield, I know, was another one that we haven't got right off the, there's also Stockholm and the complete Copenhagen stuff. And I think there was even a Bill Graham show on the West Coast that was recorded. Maybe it was their Avalon Ballroom. We've started seeing. So we know there are more tapes out there that are good soundboard to um, A-plus or, or A-quality that uh, that we could release, that they could release. To what end do they release those or how they release those? I'm not sure. There's been. I've also heard rumors that... And, and this is from my digging and, and there's going to be a future on this a future episode on this in future on the New Orleans tape that possibly there's a rhino release in the works for that. I don't know. And and it's all rumor, innuendo, whatever you want to call it. But we know that there's stuff out there for them to release. But let me play devil's advocate. And I'm not just taking up to the band because I'm I've have an arbitrary podcast that has no link to the band or their management whatsoever. Just want to put that out there. This that this is just my personal opinion. Uh, take it for what you will. If you look at Record Store Days when it started, it started in April. I think originally it started in 2007 or 2008, somewhere around there. And it started it started in April every year. There'd be one Record Store Days. Eventually it got to where there would be uh, Record Store Days in April. And they'd have Black Friday Record Store Day releases. So they'd consider that a Record Store Day as well, sort of. So you'd get two releases. Well, I think right before the pandemic or around the time of the pandemic, they moved and they added another day. So you'd have April, you'd have November, and you'd have a floating day, sometimes in August, September, somewhere in there. And then and then they moved it to where releases were going. Some years they'll have four days that they release stuff. I say all that to say when you have four different, and, and, and I know that, that maybe sometimes I think that they'll stagger releases or whatever, 
But when you have three to four, you know, two to four different releases per year that you're expected to hit and hit home runs every single time, it's hard. It's hard. And, and you don't want to have consumer fatigue. You don't want to put so much content out, especially reuse content. I'll, because truthfully, I'd rather see this little rinky dink record table that I know more people will be willing to pass on because the, the people you're, you're looking for, especially record store days, you're really looking, trying to get the collectors, the people who want to buy door stuff. They want to collect door stuff. They want to collect records. Some of these people buy these records. They never open them. And I say all that to say that this is, if this is something you can pass on, Hey, I mean, it, you don't have to buy every single doors release. I mean, you don't have to be upset because they don't release something. They just released Paris blues in November. The biggest long way, way to track of doors history, you know, arguably the, the forgotten song, the forgotten studio recording that everybody looked for that supposedly Ray San Pablo had erased part of, and we couldn't get back. I remember reading that interview years back, and now we have it. It's like a miracle. And in one of my talks with somebody, it, the, even he said that, hey, I'm a, I've been a longtime fan, and I just feel like that the that the interest, the intrigue is not as there as much as it used to, and, and, and I don't know if that's, that's because the management is gearing towards younger people or what, but Paris Blues didn't seem like a big deal in it. And when 15 years ago, I think people have been clamoring for it. I don't know why that is. And maybe you guys can tell me. You can send me an email to open the doors pod at gmail.com. And I want to, I would love to hear anybody's opinion on this as to why people are sort of more fatigued with the band. I mean, is it just, is the cycle burning out? I don't, I don't really know. I've gotten some really good responses from. My podcast, I've seen a lot of great uh, door stuff put on Twitter. I just don't know where the disconnect is. If it's with the doors management, if it's with the audience itself, I don't know. But uh, to that end, I think that this is a, a good release. It's it's a collector's release. I'm going to try to get it. There's only 500 available. It's a regional release. I don't even know if it's available in a region. I have to look into that. I go to record store days. Anyway, there's um, a couple records I want to pick. I try to pick up anyway. The re-release of the repressing of uh, Strawberry Alarm Clocks and Sense of Peppermint. So go out and get that for George Bunnell. Had him on the podcast. I want that. And the Happy Dragon Band also have a release. And if you don't know the Doors history with the Happy Dragon Band, um, the Happy Dragon Band morphed from, they're a Michigan area band that morphed from Phantom's Divine Comedy, which Phantom's Divine Comedy had and I want to do a video. I want to do a podcast on them. I'm looking for members from the group. I don't know if that's because I was always so fascinated with it. But Phantom's Divine Comedy, of course, had Ted Pearson, uh, a.k.a. Arthur Pendergan, who was the, the, though Morrison faked his death and he joined this group and he did this album, you know, Tales from a Wizard. And uh, some of the songs on it are very Morrison-esque. I'd definitely go check out. A, I think it's called Phantom's Divine Comedy Part 1. Go check that out. But all that being said, this is a cool release, and I'm going to try to get it. And if you don't want it, that's fine. Pass on it. But I've also seen, so I also want to sort of correct something here. There was an old, some people have sort of likened this to the, there was an old record format in the 60s. Actually, just for one year, they produced it from 68 to 69. And they were four-inch records. They only produced them from 68 to 69. And you can see that they have ads in magazines, and it was by Phil Coe had put them put them out. And uh, you would, it would have like the female with the 
with the four inch record sort of almost like compared to side by side with their hoop earring on their neck. And it said, now you can carry your hip pocket records on your ear. The grooviest earrings ever hold up to 20 hip pocket records at just 50 cents at any participating dealer with you. When you buy two, two HPs, a top hit on each side. Of course, if you want to wear the earrings alone, you can always carry your hip pocket records in your purse. The grooviest earrings ever. But the format didn't, the format didn't really ta- take off. These were very thin um, records on, on like the thin film. And you couldn't really tape them down or anything like you could some of the other records to the turntable. Like you could, like you could the little uh, acetate sheets from the square sheets, you know, because you ha- you don't have a really the little corners to tape it down to the turntable. So a lot of these just didn't play very well, but the and so you could liken them to this. But this was actually these are actually based off of um, the three inch records that were actually produced by a company called Bandai, and Bandai was this this company uh, after World War II they were founded. They were a Japanese company who eventually went into making toys. They produced uh, Ultraman toys, uh, Power Ranger toys eventually. they uh, I think they also produced the Muscle Man toys. And anyway, they produced a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I think in the 90s they did the Tamagotchi brand of the virtual pets and they did Digimon and stuff. Um, but, but just sort of interesting stuff like that. They ended up even coming up with Tonka and making the metal vehicles. And they also, you know, did Bandai and all that stuff. But but they did all that, and it's and it was really cool. I mean, they did a lot of cool toys. But eventually, in 2004, so one thing, Japan, if you're, if you're not familiar with Japanese culture, they love cute stuff and, and, and miniature stuff. And also around this time, it was the anniversary of the original Famicom game system, which was the... What ended up being the Nintendo Entertainment System, and I'm sure a lot of people are turning it off for this. But anyway, they 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 produced these miniature little game cards, like the the Game Boys. They produced little Game Boy Micros that would play little cartridges that were that had the original Famicom NES games, whatever you want to call them, on there. But they packaged them in miniature boxes, and so uh, those are very collectible nowadays. But around the same time, they produced miniature record players. Bandai produced these mini record players that played three-inch um, vinyls. And one of the differences is with these three-inch than the four these three-inch vinyls compared to those four-inch. The four-inch were on those little thin acetate sheets. These are actually pressed and they're thicker, so they're actually more closer to the thickness, if not maybe a little thicker than actual records. But they only have. Uh, a song on one side so they have they hold about four minutes or so of sort of lo-fi mono sound on a side but they were more for like a, a, a more like a novelty and they were japanese and there were even a lot of like i think there were some judy collins electra press some on press some of their records onto those you know license them out for bandai and so that's your connection here and for record store days i know that they really that that they relaunched it and they've had different tables and stuff, different collaborations from, you know, older artists like ACDC and stuff too, even Post Malone, some of the new artists. But I think it's just a kitschy little thing that's interesting. It's a cool little collector, even though the table 
isn't anything special. I mean, all it, it looks exactly like their older table they have, just with like a Doors logo on the front and on the top. If you don't want it, don't get it. I completely understand you, what, what, whatever you think there. All that being said, I really just wanted to, I just want to talk about it, you know, the news, because I don't really get to talk about a lot of news around here and, and mention some of that stuff. But I, I actually just got off a flight from Dallas a few hours ago. And every the whole everybody's asleep, so I'm trying to record in the quiet of my, um, I, I call it a studio. It's really a catch-all. I've got a lot of random stuff in here, arcade cabinets, um, collectibles, door stuff, non-door stuff of other books and stuff that I collect, but I'm, I'm, I'm just here just sort of working on that. Before I go, I did want to share something pretty, I, I think it's pretty cool, something I'm proud of, and you can look forward to this in the future. Um, something that that's cool. It's something a little edit I did, and this is featuring um, the person doing voiceover work for this. Somebody who's going to be on a future episode. This is Forge Spurgis from a from Astonishing Legends. You can go check out his podcast. They've done a lot of cool episodes. They've done a lot of episodes on everything from Spring Hill Jack, uh, the Mothman, uh, different UFO encounters, crop circles, Bigfoot, and, and historical events. They they are. You know, Amelia Earhart, they really broke some ground on that that I think ended up opening doors for other people to work on it. If any of you remember Unsolved Mysteries from the 90s, or even I think they did the new Netflix uh, series, you may be familiar with this, so I'll just let it roll. During his lifetime, Jim Morrison only owned one car. 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500. On a warm Los Angeles night, his car vanished without a trace. In the decades since, many have tried and failed to track down this elusive piece of Doors history. But could the key to finding the truth lie within the discovery of another once lost Mustang? Was Jim Shelby compacted and discarded as the story goes? Or could some unsuspecting person be the owner of a piece of rock history? Join me tonight on Morrison Mysteries. Yeah, so that's going to be sort of my new, I guess, uh, some of the sub-podcasts I'm doing is going to be the Morrison Mystery Series where we look at something from Doors history that may be unknown or unsolved and uh, talk about those and see if we can break ground or see if we can get anything you know, going on those, if we can get any new information or if we can find anybody who maybe hasn't heard that. So I'm really excited about that series. Um, so I'll go ahead and talk about this, though. I, I wanted to mention some other projects that people had coming up. Speaking of Forrest Burgess, he's going to be on two episodes with me. We're going to do an episode on and a Morrison. So I call this the Morrison Library. It's going to be about a a book or an author that, that particularly piqued Jim's interest. And we're going to go into it and just talk about the author and talk about why we think it could influence Jim and, and the like. And, and it's really fun, a different approach to Doors history. And that's what I've always wanted from this podcast. I don't want it to just be, hey, let's cover the core albums and, and all this. And I'll get to those eventually. I, I know I haven't. For some reason, I've just hit the ground running. I've got a lot of great interviews lined up, and it's been interview heavy, and maybe that's turned a lot of people off. But I want to sort of let this run its course. And, and, I'm, and I'm still working on some very... Um, intricate deep dives that uh, there's a New Orleans episode coming up, and I think I've mentioned this before, and maybe I mentioned it ad nauseum, but the New Orleans episode, man, we're, 
chef's kiss. When I get this thing done, I've got some great people working on me and I've, I've made some incredible contacts and got some incredible, incredible information that I don't think anybody has ever got in regard, in regards to the, um, the concert and the tape itself. So I can't wait to share that with you guys. But Forrest is going to be on an episode, you know, like I said, and we're also going to do The Simpsons and talk about these, the references in The Simpsons. Which, spoiler, there are a lot of references to The Doors and The Simpsons, enough to do a podcast about. So we're also going to do that. But he, you can find him at Astonishing, you know, at Astonishing Legends. Um, they have a podcast, AstonishingLegends.com. You can find all those episodes and you can find those wherever you find my episodes, wherever you're downloading these, you can look for those and and maybe you'll you'll be able to see something, man. See something you enjoy or hear something. And he was recently on uh, History's Greatest Mysteries, talking about the lost colony of Roanoke. And I would recommend checking that out. Lawrence Fishburne does the uh, narration for that. And he does a phenomenal job. He's going to be on a couple episodes in the future. I don't know if I can talk about, but um, look look for that there. One person I've been in talks with to do an episode and just working out schedules. You know, he's super busy. Author Bob Batchelor, he wrote a phenomenal book about the doors with a different approach than I think of of any book I'm privy to uh, that actually sort of views the band through the lens of the culture that they came out of, you know, and and you can find his book anywhere you find books. Amazon, it is called Roadhouse Blues, Morrison, the Doors and the Death Days of the 60s. Great book there. Another person that I'm going to have on in the future, Mark DeWoodziak, he was a TV and film critic. And lining up his schedule, he just had this this book drop February 14th. It was a new autobiography on Edgar Allan Poe, of all things, and it's called A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. So I would definitely recommend that book. And there is actually, there's actually some pretty, pretty cool things. Like um, I know the Avalon Ballroom did a lot of shows, and in 66 they actually had Edgar Allan Poe on a Country Joe and the Fish poster. And, and Edgar Allan Poe definitely has always sort of fit in the doors. If anybody reminds me of Morrison, it's it's Poe. Um, so check that out. Again, don't forget George Pennell of Strawberry Alarm Clock is still making that album. The GoFundMe's still going. If we can help them get to their goal, make some groovy music, we can, let's help them. And another interview I've got coming up is from is the band Sweet Smoke. If you never heard of them, they were big in the Doors community. Sort of, they got the buzz that I remember from doing their album Just a Poke on the Baby Night song, and they actually had a extended piece of soft braid that was sort of a hidden easter egg that you really didn't know about and being a fan of doors trivia it really was something that that really caught me and uh, i just latched onto because it, it's one of those pieces of trivia that you pull out and nobody knows and fascinating stuff but they're you know not just for the doors trivia though they're a great jazz fusion band one of the first sort of psychedelic jazz fusion bands to come out of the whole movement and and sort of help push jazz fusion fusion in a way that I don't think any bands of the time did. I mean, even the doors had a bit of jazz fusion, but this, these people that, that I mean, they really were put an emphasis on the jazz, even before Chicago sort of went that direction. So I definitely check out at least checking out their first album, just to poke. It's really just two songs front and back. I think 16, two 16 plus minute songs on each side of the LP. So if you can find that stream that wherever you get it, I would recommend listening to that because I've got an interview coming up with them. One of their band members actually still lives in India. They're working on a history of the band. And I want to, and, and Jay, the one of the people I've been in contact with, he actually attended the Phil Maurice show. So we're going to get to hear a little bit more about that Phil Maurice show. 
Um, I'm working on a bootleg series to talk about bootlegs, individual bootlegs. I mean, there's a lot in the fire. I need you to be patient with me and to follow me on the journey. You know, imagine this sort of like the end. We're not, this is not like a short, you know, three minute bubblegum pop, you know, single that's going to hit number one. This, this podcast is really going to be a slow burn. It's going to take a long time to get wherever we're going. And I don't think it's about where we go or where the destination is. It's about the journey getting there, man. And I just, if you can just hang with me, I promise this will be worth your while, especially if you're a fan of The Doors and psychedelic rock music in general. I don't think you'll be disappointed because just from doing this podcast a short amount of time, I've done, I've even learned stuff. And that's one thing that I just want to push the bounds of and to learn as, as much as I can. So I hope this, I would love, and, and I would really love to hear everybody's opinions on everything we've talked about today from the record store day releases from the change in who owns the rights. I want you to send that to me and maybe I'll do a grab bag or something. And if there's enough interest, because I want to hear what people have to say about, um, what do you think about a releasing a novelty three inch record player? That's doors branded. Is it a, is it a cash grab or is it a legitimate thing, man? Or what do you think about the, did the doors sell out? Did, did Robbie and Dorothy sell out or, do you think they does you know? Do you think they they've kept the legacy alive, and that it's time to sort of hand it over to a new new group? You know, I don't know. I want to hear what you guys think. So again, thank you so much, and I can't wait to. Hopefully, you you hang around and you check out on the feed. And you hear that Joshua White show that is dropping along with this because it's it's a great time and, and uh, a really great trip, man. So thanks, guys. You can find this podcast on Twitter at The Doors Pod and on Facebook by searching Opening the Doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. I also want to thank The Mild Equator for information used throughout the show. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo, of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in one week. But until then, keep the doors open and the music loud.